Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in the book of Romans, Lifestyle of the Gospel, with a message titled, The Names and Faces of the Gospel. Let's look in our Bibles now to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Within a very short period of time, from the time of Jesus to the close of the first century, the Christian gospel was expanding rapidly and changing the world. By the end of the second century, Tertullian, a great Christian leader, would say, we are but of yesterday, and yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps, your palace, senate, and forum. You know, it's estimated that at the end of the third century, one in 10 of the entire Roman Empire was Christian. Now, how did all that occur so quickly? How is it that within a short period of time, the Christian church was rapidly branching out into three separate domains, deeply into Europe, secondly, capturing great tracts of North Africa, and then moving south and, and rapidly, third, spreading into the heart of the Middle East and through into Asia? You know, some have said it was a combination of social factors and effective leadership. I mean, after all, the early church had Paul, Peter, and John. And after the death of the apostles, they had leaders like Polycarp. I mean, he was a man that was discipled by John and then martyred for Christ when he was in his 80s because of his great influence for Christ in the gospel. You know, others such as Ignatius of Antioch, Justin Martyr, Arrhenius, Tertullian, and then, of course, such great theologians as Athanasius, John Chrysostom, Augustine. These men captured the imagination and sparked a fire of love for Christ. But that's only half of the story. The other half of the story belonged to the names and faces of people we've long forgotten, but we will meet in eternity. They served according to their giftedness, and many of them paid for their devotion to Christ in a great trial of suffering. They faithfully shared the gospel with friends and work colleagues and lived a life of honor to Christ. Some were martyred, others suffered, but they were faithful. I long for heaven. I, I want to hear their stories and, and meet them and thank them for without their sacrifice, you and I would never have heard the gospel. But today, I want to do something very special in my sermon. In advance of eternity, I, I want to partially pull back the curtain, kind of like a movie trailer, and, and have you meet a few of the early Christians whose devotion to Christ is intended to inspire you. I'll be reading Romans 16, 1 to 16 in bits and bites. I want to tell you some of the story of these amazing people, but I also want to do one better. I want to tell you these people are not very much unlike us. Also, even though they are very real people, they represent certain categories of people. I see in this text nine different categories of people. First, let me tell you of the patrons, found in verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. You know what a patron is? I mean, perhaps you've heard of wealthy people who, for example, are patrons of the arts. That means they're wealthy individuals who have used their vast wealth to encourage, to promote, and to further the arts. Well, Phoebe was a patron of the gospel. She was a wealthy businesswoman who often, through her giving, allowed Paul's ministry to go forward. 
She lived in Cenchrae, which was a port city very close to Corinth in Greece, where Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. She was traveling to Rome to do business. In fact, many Bible teachers believe she was involved in some sort of legal matters in Rome, and the words, whatever she may need, actually contain legal language. She probably had legal business there. Paul is saying to the church in Rome, when she comes, help her out. I mean, after all, she uses her money to further the Christian gospel. In other words, rejoice when her business succeeds. Help her succeed because of her rich generosity to the cause of Christ. And furthermore, it's probably the case that this woman delivered the book of Romans to the Roman church. So think of that. In Phoebe's hand was the only copy of the most theological book of the entire Bible, the book that is our copy of Christianity 101 or the foundation for our faith. The Apostle Paul trusted her with that, and that speaks of her character. You know, today, there are patrons just like Phoebe. That may be you. God has given you the ability to make money, and lots of it, and you've become a patron of the church and of worthy Christian ministries. Thank you for faithfully discharging your ministry. May God bless you. Now, second, Paul mentions those Christians who are flexible. I'm reading now verses 3 to 5a. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now, we know, according to Acts 18, that Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. Just like Paul, they were tent makers by trade, and their unique occupation allowed them to pick up everything and travel with Paul to Antioch. So they would be flexible, and their flexibility was a great asset to Paul. Now, we later find Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, where they have opportunity to take an outstanding preacher named Apollos and teach him to be more accurate in the things concerning Jesus. Well, no doubt, it was their association with Paul that had deepened their theology, and now they were passing that on to a great preacher in that day. Now, at some point in time, and we don't know when it was, uh, they had risked their own lives to protect Paul. You know, many scholars believe this happened during the riot at Ephesus when the whole city was in an uproar because Paul preached of Jesus, and that enraged the idol manufacturers, and a riot began against Paul. Now, this couple was there and in some manner had risked their lives to save Paul. But did you notice something else? In spite of their travel schedule, this couple always had a church meeting in their house. In our terms, they continue to be small group leaders. They, they never forgot local concerns. So how valuable is a couple like that? Theologically informed, courageous, passionate, and the ability to drop everything and to go on an extended missionary or church planting trip. And there are today many of the Church of Christ who are like that. Perhaps you have a computer-related business and you don't have to physically be in one place, and that flexibility allows you ministry, especially in the cause of missions. And if that's you, God bless you. Continue to use your flexibility for the cause of Christ. Get in touch with missions departments and find out how you can serve the cause of Christ. So, patrons, flexible people, and now third, the memorable people. Look at the last part of verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. 
Now, that phrase, first convert, is actually the word first fruit. The word comes from the Old Testament, where the first of the harvest is offered to the Lord with an understanding that there is so much more to come. And Eponidas was just that. As Paul began his first missionary journey with Barnabas, Eponidas was the first man to say yes to Jesus. In that sense, you never forget someone like that. No doubt, years later, Paul could say, remember, when Eponidas came to Christ, it was like his conversion just opened the door to a flood of people coming to Christ after him. Praise God for him. And that's who he was, and that's what he represented. You know, some of you have a story like that. Maybe it's in your family. When you came to Christ, it just opened the floodgates, and, and that was memorable. Now, fourth, there are the category of hard workers. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. You know, the term worked hard means toiling to the point of weariness and exhaustion. In other words, Mary was amazing. This Jewish woman probably put in so much time in so many practical matters that just needed doing. You know, I'm often amazed at how many of God's people, after a, you know, a full day of work, will then give themselves to either a boys' club, a girls' club, or I know of people who visit nursing homes and others who visit prisons. I've known people who clean the homes of people who are in hospitals. I know of a mechanic who serviced single mom's cars when they couldn't afford it. I knew one man who had a huge, and I mean huge barbecue, he used to haul it behind his truck. And whenever we had a big event, he always showed up. Now that I've started, I, I just don't know where to stop. People who deliver presents to the poor at Christmas people who volunteer to repair something, people who make phone calls just to see how people are doing and who pray for them and take note. There are many people in the church like Mary who work hard for the gospel, and each one of them are highly esteemed by God. Their contribution will be remembered in eternity. So we've seen those who are patrons, we've seen those who have flexibility, those who are memorable, and those who work hard but there are more categories we can consider. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. A fifth category is that some people are strategically placed. Paul tells about them in verses 10 and 11. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. You know, twice here, Paul mentions families. 
You know, in the Greek, they are literally households. And ancient households were much more than a nuclear family. Most often, it referred to a business which would have included slaves and servants and other business associates. So Paul's not saying that Aristobulus and Narcissus were Christians. He is saying that there were a great number of Christians in the households of those two men. But who are those two men, Aristobulus and Narcissus? You know, as a matter of fact, that's fascinating. You know, it's plain knowledge that Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. Yeah, yeah, that's the same Herod who put all those little boys to death at Bethlehem because he wanted to kill the baby Jesus. And how ironic. The man who wanted to kill Jesus finds that in later days, his household is populated by those who love and are loyal to that same Christ. We know that at the time of the writing of Romans, Aristobulus had already died but his household would probably have been taken over by the Roman emperor, and it would have maintained its name. Hence, those people would have been in the employ of Caesar himself. Notice that the next name that Paul gives is Herodian. One can only assume then that this man, now a believer, was a relative of the Herods. The next name, Narcissus, is equally interesting. You know, this man seems to have been the personal secretary of the emperor. Do you see what's happening? Later, when Paul himself was in prison in Rome and was writing a letter to the church at Philippi, listen to what he writes in chapter 4, 21 to 22. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You may be one of those people strategically placed so that you can make an influence for Christ, let's say, in the mayor's office or in the employ of someone who has access to the premier or to some other person who has great influence. Know and believe it is not by accident that you are there. And so we see names and faces of the gospel, the patrons, the flexible, the memorable, the hard workers, and those strategically placed. Now, sixth, we add those whose lives are a testimony. See, I can't speak of everyone in this list, but my mind is taken up in verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Now, there are two female names and several things ought to be said. In the ancient world, names were not as freely chosen as they are today. So if you're broken, jobless, and have no family, you can still name your daughter princess today. But in the ancient world, nothing of the kind was done. Your name indicated your station in life. For instance, the name Ampliatus, it's in verse 8, that is certainly given to slaves. And that was the miracle of the early church. Slaves and the free were brothers and sisters in Christ. But what's amazing is that the name of these two, many consider them to be sisters, Tryphena and Tryphosa, is that their names were the names of nobility. Translated, their names mean delicate and dainty. Now, these were women who were raised with slaves taking care of them, and they would have never cleaned their own house. They were born with a golden spoon in their mouths. And what has become of them? Well, they became workers in the Lord. They joined alongside of Mary. They rolled up their sleeves and they engaged in service. And that's what the gospel does. And everyone who knew them must have been astounded. You know, I'm running out of words, but I'm going to call the seventh group the inspiring. I'm reading verse 13. 
greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. You know, since the very early days when people were explaining the contents of Romans in the early church, there was a very clear understanding of who Rufus was. Many of you know that Mark's gospel was written to to Roman Christians, and, and of course, this letter is the letter to the Romans. And with that in mind, let me read to you from Mark 15, 21. It says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So why does Mark mention Simon's sons? Because the Roman church all knew them. That's why. And this is inspiring. There was a man named Simon of Cyrene who was minding his own business when the Romans grabbed him off the streets in Jerusalem, and they demanded he carry the cross of a a bloody, beaten, and tortured man. That man turned out to be Jesus, the Son of God, and the hope of the world. And in God's providence, Simon picked up that cross. I don't know how it happened, but Simon came to faith in Christ, and so did his family. And obviously, he has passed away by the time Paul wrote Romans, but his wife was alive, and so was one of his sons. And Rufus, well, he was in the early church in Rome. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have heard that man's testimony. It would have been inspiring. Now, eighth category of the world changers. Look at verse 15. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. You see that one name, Nereus? Well, I can't be completely sure about this one, but what I'm about to say is actually likely. There was a consul to Rome, highly stationed diplomat, a man very well known in those days, and his name was Flavius Clemens. He had a wife who was the granddaughter of one of the Caesars, and she was a niece to the then ruling emperor Domitian. Her name was Domitella. We know from history that these two, Flavius Clemens and Domitella, came to faith in Christ and their conversion scandalized Rome because Christianity was a hated sect. They were placed on trial, and Flavius Clemens was executed, joining the long train of Christian martyrs. But because Domitella, his wife, was of royal blood, she was exiled to the island of Pontia, where she lived out her life and died there. But here's the beautiful part of that story. The two of them had a chamberlain, a personal servant whose name was, you guessed it, Narius. And many have speculated that this was the very man who had the major role in leading Flavius Clemens and Domitella to faith in Christ. The story I've just told is true, and it's plausible that when Paul greets Narius, that's the same Narius that he's talking about. So it would seem that some people are destined by God to be world changers. And if that's you, praise God. You know, we've talked about the patrons, the flexible, the memorable, the hard workers, the strategically placed, the surprising, the inspiring, and the world changers. These are still the names and faces of the gospel. This is the magnificent story of the progress of the Christian faith that actually continues to this day. Now, I have one more category, and this category really describes them all. I call this ninth category, the lovers. Verse 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You know, in the early church, this was not a romantic kiss. It was the kiss of friendship and love. Indeed, Paul knew that these different and diverse people were one. 
You see, some of the names we have read are men and some were women. Some were Jewish and some Roman and some Greek and some, like the woman Persis, was in fact a Persian. They were from every nation, tongue, and language. They were slaves and some were of nobility. But one thing held them together. They had been redeemed by Christ and they knew that they were on a sacred mission to reach the world with the gospel. And for that reason, they loved one another. See, Jesus put it this way in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. I hope you see these people are the ones that lived out the lifestyle of the gospel. But what do we do with this information, this group of people that Paul greets in Rome, this group that makes his heart sing? I mean, this group that he so desperately wants to meet with. I think we should all realize that every one of us has a place in the progress of the gospel. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you're a born-again believer and surrendered to Christ, that's the conclusion that you must come to. Just live out the lifestyle of the gospel and take your command from Christ and be a world changer. Be on sacred mission for Christ. Know that where Christ has placed you has always been strategic. And that brings me back to these ancient people. Whether they were wealthy or business people, nobility or slaves, they simply served where they could and God used them to change the world. Many of you have already joined in their chain. Don't be weary of well-doing. And if you've not joined yet, I urge you, I appeal to you, become a servant of Christ and let your name be added to the names and faces of the gospel. John, it seems to me that most of us won't be Paul, but many of us, there's all these other names of people who have done incredible things for the kingdom, perhaps more in the background, but it's most of us. It's just like us, so we should be encouraged by what God can do in and through us. Yeah, and be encouraged at our position and place in life. Um, you know, if we're never going to be famous, you know, this is not where we want fame anyway. It's, it doesn't matter if we have fame in this world. But if we can be involved in the gospel and the progress of the gospel, and uh, what happens in heaven is that we will never be forgotten. So uh, that's what we take great encouragement. And then also just to this idea that, you know, whatever place that God has placed us in this world, just use it to full effect and, and see what God does as we're faithful in the area of ministry that he's assigned to us. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. As we enter a new year, we want to begin by expressing our sincere gratitude to all those who so graciously supported Back to the Bible Canada's year-end ministry campaign. Your gift in December was critical to launching the ministry into the new year sustaining our Bible teaching resources, and providing a springboard for new and innovative opportunities. So on behalf of Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, In Doubt, and the entire Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, thank you. What you do is essential to the mission of this organization, and we're blessed beyond words for your generosity. As we enter a new year, please continue to pray for this ministry. And if Back to the Bible Canada is an important part of your spiritual walk with Jesus and you believe in the mission of Bible teaching, please consider continuing your financial support or becoming a monthly partner. 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.